Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. We're going to do something a little bit different for this week's episode of the podcast and focusing on one topic, one story, instead of jumping around a few like we usually do. This particular story quickly jumped from being a curious discussion amongst the financial press to just dominating international news headlines. And as I'm sure you've already guessed, this is the tale of a clash between small retail investors from a Reddit community and some of the largest hedge funds and billionaires on Wall Street, including the resulting reaction from the media, industry figures, regulators, and market infrastructure such as exchanges and stockbroking platforms. All of this centers around what otherwise should be a boring brick and mortar video game retail store. And that will be our focus today, GameStop. For those that haven't had the time or energy to follow this story yet, hopefully this episode gives you some perspective and insight into what went on during the week, the week that was. And for those like me who haven't peeled away from the updates over the past few days, hopefully I can still provide some context on what has been happening, what is still happening really, because the reality is none of this really just began in the last week. It's It's been rumbling for many, many months now. Now, for clarity, I'm recording this on 31st of January, 2021. It's in the evening in Australian Eastern Standard Time. So I bring that up because the details might change by the time you listen to them. But let's not waste any more time. As always, thank you for tuning into the Market Pulse podcast. My name is Dion, and you are listening to episode 45, the We Like the Stock Edition. If you've ventured anywhere near a television, computer, or phone this week, even if you're someone who doesn't pay that much attention to the financial markets, Chances are you've stumbled across this story about GameStop, Wall Street bets, and hedge fund short selling. GameStop, as of right now, is up about 100 bucks. The price is $248 per share, up 68% from yesterday's close. Shares in the US company GameStop have fallen back sharply in after-hours trading on Wall Street. The gaming company is seen as a target for so-called short sellers who make money when share prices fall. There's fury in the US this morning over efforts to block an extraordinary battle between small online investors who have ganged up against some of the giants of Wall Street. Wall Street bets. It's on Reddit. Now, a lot of younger people read Reddit. I read Reddit because younger people read it. That's why. Now, they've got a community of very rabid investors who will choose individual stocks and then run them up as a group with commentary about how much they love them. Now, for some, the story can be overwhelming. There's a lot of market jargon being thrown around, like short selling or gamma squeezes. I don't think we need to go into a lengthy lecture on what all this stuff means, but it does help to understand the fundamentals. It helps to set the stage of what occurred in the last week and will hopefully help you navigate the news as it continues to unfold. At least that's the way I like understanding things. I like to understand the backstory first. So I think it's helpful to define a few things before we cover the events of the week and what played out. And the things to define firstly are GameStop. And I mean that as the company itself, like who are they? And then there's the hedge funds and short selling. I think it's important to understand how short selling works it will help you understand the bet that these big players made 
as well as how short-selling interest on a company like GameStop actually exceeded 100% of the actual shares available for that company. There's also Wall Street Bets, the Reddit community that's at the center of the story, where the idea of betting against those hedge fund shorts gained some serious momentum and snowballed to where we are today. And finally, I want to talk about US-based trading platform called Robinhood. Now, it's not the only platform at all by any means a part of this story, but it's something that's worth understanding. So you can also understand this, the context of this tale. But let's start with GameStop. And when I say that, I mean, let's just step back and take a look at the company itself. Forget about all the noise from the past week. You're probably sick of hearing about it, but who and what is GameStop? Well, I'm in Australia and I know that my audience pretty much all hail from Australia too. So the closest comparison from a local context that would be relevant to us as EB Games. So think of a physical brick and mortar retailer that is mostly positioned in large shopping centers and it sells video games, accessories, gaming consoles. That's GameStop. It's not that glamorous or complex. Now GameStop itself and this kind of business model has had a rough ride for a number of years now. Consider the growing trend towards e-commerce among consumers and the general digitization of media. So even if you don't play video games, just know that the gaming world has moved in the exact same direction that things like music and movies have, in that you have the ability to just buy and download games straight away, straight to your console or straight to your computer, removing the kind of need for a middleman like a GameStop. This is a quote from a Business Insider Australia article by Ben Gilbert on 4th of July 2019, and it kind of sums up what I'm saying there. Quote, in the past 12 months, the company's stock value has dropped by two-thirds, from about $15, and that's US dollars, in January 2019 to under $5 by July 2019, and it's had a reshuffle of its C-suite. Like Blockbuster Video and Tower Records before it, GameStop faces major challenges to its business model from the internet as more people buy video games through digital storefronts, fewer buy games on physical discs from GameStop. And the underlying fundamentals were starting to paint a sour picture for the company as well, Declining revenues over the past years, operating income for the company had started to decline before eventually, at least since 2018, it was coming in negative for the most part over across quarterly periods. It wasn't a pretty picture and if you were an investor or onlooker with a pessimistic attitude towards the company, it certainly started to seem like your thesis would be right. Now add to the fact that just in 2020, the world was hit by the coronavirus pandemic, shopping centers and malls of the world were you know, absolutely decimated just due to their complete closures and, you know, not much foot traffic even though when they did open. Brick and mortar retail copped a blow to the liver due to the closures and consumer preferences towards e-commerce as a much safer option to avoid COVID. And all the while, the economies of countries like the US were ravaged, tens of millions unemployed, and none of that is really anywhere close to being repaired just yet. Now, that doesn't mean that the outlook for GameStop was all doom and gloom. There actually was some bright spots, especially some good news for the company over the past year. And we will touch on those points later when we tell the story. But for now, that's GameStop, the company. But let's briefly cover the topic of short selling. For most people that think about the stock market or actually invest in the stock market themselves, and myself included, we tend to think of it as you buy a share in a company with the hope and expectation that that share will go up in price you can sell that share to make a profit. That is investing. You buy the thing, the thing goes up in price, you sell the thing. However, if you believe the company is overpriced or specifically you think the shares of a company will go down 
then a tactic is to short sell the stock or simply, you'll hear the term, just short it. Now, the key to understanding this and the process of doing this is essentially that it's backwards to the example I stated just before of investing in a share to watch it grow before selling. The process for short selling is backwards because you sell first and then buy. Now, if your brain is currently listening to that and hurting, trust me, I was exactly the same when someone first explained this to me. My immediate questions were, how do you sell shares first? Where do you get them from? Don't you have to own them first to sell them? And the answer to that last point is, no, not necessarily. Short sellers borrow the shares from someone and then they sell them. So we're going to break it down with a pretty simple example. And just a quick note, all these figures I'm about to rattle off are all made up. So imagine you have a view on GameStop in that you think the share price will go down and you want to actually make money off that. Now, you don't own any shares yourself because you don't believe in the company. You're not long on GameStop. You want to go short. You want to short sell the company. Currently, in this hypothetical example, GameStop shares are $10 each. Now, to short sell something you don't own, you're going to need to borrow them from somewhere. In this case, or in the case of hedge funds on Wall Street, they could be borrowing it from other investment banks or other funds, wherever. In this example, though, we will pretend that you're borrowing them from a friend. So you go to your friend Peter because you know Peter has shares in GameStop and say, Peter, I want to short GameStop shares. Can I borrow your 100 shares of GameStop? Peter thinks, sure, I'm happy to lend you my 100 shares of GameStop shares. However, I will be charging you interest of $1 per month because after all, you know, you're borrowing something of value from me. I think about it and I'm confident in my bet that GameStop shares will go down. The interest won't matter a great deal. I take Peter up on this offer and I borrow his 100 shares and immediately sell them for the current market price of $10 each. So with my sale of those 100 shares at $10 each, I pocket $1,000 and put that in an account. Now the ideal situation from the perspective of a short seller is that my thesis is right and GameStop shares do indeed go down. So let's say GameStop shares change and they go down from $10 to $5. Remember, my friend Peter lent me 100 shares. So I need to give him back 100 shares at some point. So what I do, I, now that the share price has gone down to $5, I go and I buy those 100 shares back. This time though, because it's only $5, it's only going to cost me $500. So I go to my bank account where I had those original $1,000 sitting there from the 100 shares sold. I only have to take out 500 now to buy back 100 shares. I hand Peter back his shares. Perhaps I've had to pay a, you know, a couple extra dollars here for interest on the time I borrowed them for. But at the end of the day, as it only cost me $500 to get his 100 shares back, I get to keep the cream on top in my bank account of 500 bucks. I successfully short sold GameStop. So that's the short selling from the perspective of going perfectly right for the short seller. And if you've followed the story a little bit this week, you might already know that a key point to the story is that the short selling did not go so well for the hedge funds, but we'll get onto that soon. Now let's cross to Wall Street bets. And this might be the term or the word that people are less familiar with, but although you've, again, probably heard it a million times over the past week. Now Reddit, as in the website, is essentially a giant internet forum that is divided into subsections, or as the term officially, subreddits. And these subreddits are like their own little community often born out of an interest in something or a particular topic or a person or a hobby. 
you know, for example, you have an NBA subreddit and from there you'd have subreddit specifically for fans of the Lakers or you know, fans of the Warriors and they would discuss that team or the players in that team and news related to it and share content and videos and memes, whatever it is. Wall Street Bets is another subreddit. It's not particularly new at all. And I know that because I actually stumbled across a subreddit years ago and I've subscribed to it for several years. However, I kind of want to note that I don't speak for the subreddit or anything out there. So I've never actually posted in it. I just observe it from afar out of interest. I would be what's referred to as a lurker. Now, I'm not sure you can really encapsulate an entire community of various people in a couple sentences, but I'd say that from my perspective, it's made up of three kinds of discussions or posts. The first is straight up just memes about finance, trading, the economy. For example, I recall a YouTube video that was shared depicting a cartoon Trump receiving news about the coronavirus in January and ignoring it. And then by the time it got to March, you know, it's things that started to get really bad. They're getting deaths in America. So he calls up the head of their central bank, the head of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, and asks him to inject every American with $5 trillion uh, to solve the coronavirus. And then it's just a picture of Jerome Powell printing money. So it's just stupid stuff like that. But that's some of the type of posts. The second type of thing you'll see there is where people share their trades or their bets as they would probably call them. Often it's options trading, not always. And they're often quite risky trades that would end up in failure if you're wrong where the user has lost thousands, tens of thousands of dollars getting something wrong and there's this kind of absurdist, surreal style of humor that comes along with this community of kind of like laughing at the misfortune and making jokes about losing money or, or losing your savings. Again, for clarification, I'm not condoning or speaking for this kind of stuff. I'm just trying to paint the picture. The third type of discussion and one of the reasons I would sometimes take a look is there's actually some really intelligent people who post a thesis on their opinion on a certain stock and why they think the way that they do and what actions they're going to take such as buying shares in that company if they think it's undervalued for example. I recall a really interesting write-up from an individual who shared how they trade insurance companies on the stock market during times of large natural disasters such as cyclones or bushfires. Now, I'm not sure if that person was right or wrong, but it was really interesting to read someone's opinion on this particular type of investment strategy. And Wall Street Bets has its own language of inside jokes, and some of it's pretty offensive language being used in absurdist ways, but offensive nonetheless. They have their own vocabulary. There's inside jokes that refer to things like tendies, short for chicken tenders, because if you make a good bet, make a good trade and earn some money on the market, there's not much else to spend your money on than chicken tenders to eat in your mum's basement. So you'll see people saying, wow, good tendies on that trade, as in, you know, they made some, some good money from that trade. You'll see a lot of rocket emojis indicating the stock's going to shoot up going to the moon. You'll see the term diamond hands, especially this week with GameStop, diamond hands referring to someone who holds a stock, no matter if it's going through a rough patch. So if you bought a stock at 100 bucks and it's dipped down to 70, but you're still holding because you believe in the future and you believe you'll eventually pocket a profit, you've got diamond hands. The opposite to that would be paper hands. Paper hands are people that sell out uh, maybe because they've, they're scared of losing more money or they're caving to momentum on the downtrend. At the start of this year, the Wall Street Bets community had approximately 1.7 million subscribers. So it was very big. As of right now, it has 
just over 7 million. The explosion in the people coming into it, especially over the last week, has been absolutely insane. So that's Wall Street bets. And let's finally talk about Robinhood. Now, Robinhood is a stockbroking platform in the US. So the reason why you probably, if you're someone in Australia who haven't heard of it, is that they don't operate in Australia, right? You can't use their platform here to trade on our market. And I will, again, make one thing clear about Robinhood. They're not the only trading platform that is part of the story and also part of community backlash. So I want to say that because I'm not picking on them specifically, but they are kind of at the center of this and they're the best example of, you know, that easy access for retail investors. And they're certainly one of the biggest players in this. Before I touch on Robinhood specifically, let's think of the ecosystem right now. It's one of historically low interest rates, which means there's really no point in bank savings accounts in terms of getting a return back on your investment. And the world of trading and investing has just become increasingly easier to access. Where once the world of buying shares was complicated and hard, apps like Robinhood made it easy to understand, easy to get started. And as a bonus, it's free to trade. There's no fees at all. And they've branded themselves very much as this company that's for the people. Let the people trade, equal access and easy access, all that stuff. The name itself, Robinhood, plays on that idea of being for the common man or woman, not the elites. And ironically, after the week that has been, I wouldn't hesitate to say that branding has been damaged. So you might be thinking, how does a free app that offers free trading on stocks even make money? Well, remember, when it comes to our social media platforms, you are not the customer. The customers are the advertising firms or the brands that want to advertise on those social media platforms. You are the product. Robinhood can give free trades away because it makes money off your trading data. This next bit comes from the Wall Street Journal back in November 2018. It was an article called Why Free Trading on Robinhood Isn't Really Free. It's by Alexander Ospiovich and Lisa Belfus. Quote, Robinhood makes money in part by sending customer orders to high-frequency traders in exchange for cash. It's a controversial but legal practice in the brokerage industry called payment for order flow. Market makers and hedge funds, including some of the hedge funds that would have been burnt over the last few weeks, buy that data because they can make money off that data. They can front-run retail trades, making a little bit of extra cash on the side through the spread between our investments. And the fact that this is their business model is no secret. This isn't some huge conspiracy that's just been unearthed. That article I told you about is over two years old. And Robinhood aren't the only people that actually do that data sale stuff. But it sets the scene of who some of these big players are and what their, I guess, where their loyalties might lie in a time like this as well. So that's GameStop, that's short selling, Wall Street bets, and Robinhood. And apologies if you know this already, but I think the context is worth it. And Kind of means we can tell the story of what's happening without pausing for a lecture on what short selling is. But that's the next part of this episode. The story of how a bunch of Redditors kicked off a wall against Wall Street itself. This is just about how the past works. Now, like I said at the top when we spoke about GameStop, there were reasons to be pessimistic about the future of this company. In fact, hedge funds such as Melvin Capital and Citron Research had actually made short sell bets against the future of GameStop. But a different view was starting to get some attention on Wall Street bets, that Reddit trading community, which is primarily focused on US shares and US options trading. 
there are a few key points that Reddit users started to point to. One of them being just the sheer amount of short selling positions being held against GameStop. So much of the shares of this company were held short. In fact, at a certain point, more than 100% of the company's shares were sold short. And you'll rightfully stop there and say, hang on, how in the world do you have more shares sold short than the actual number of shares in a company? Well, remember my example of me borrowing the shares from my friend Peter so I could short sell GameStop? Well, what if when I sold those 100 shares, I did so to my friend Aaron and then Aaron also short sold the company so he immediately sold them as well, taking a short sell position on GameStop. It's still the same 100 shares but now there are 200 shares sold short and this can go round and round. The figure I've seen going around is about 140% of the shares in GameStop were sold short. But that overwhelming short interest on GameStop wasn't the only reason to raise an eyebrow and perhaps question the very low price that the company was trading at. Some fundamental changes started to occur. When Microsoft and Sony launched the latest generation of gaming consoles, which are the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X, they did actually keep the feature of a disk drive for physical games that you could buy from a store like GameStop. And this was a move that some in the industry had specifically bet against. Some of the thought among analysts, I'm not talking about just finance analysts, but people in the tech industry thought that this generation of new consoles would go completely digital and have no disk drive, thus driving a further nail into the coffin of business like GameStop. Secondly, a very famous investor, Michael Burry, through his firm Scion Capital, allocated a large position of his fund's portfolio into GameStop, believing they had been unfairly pushed down relative to their actual true financial health. Now, if the name Michael Burry and Scion Capital tickle your memory hole at all, it's probably because Burry is famous for being a key figure who shorted the US housing market in the lead up to its collapse and subsequently the global financial crisis in 2008. Michael Burry is portrayed by Christian Bale in the movie The Big Short. So Michael Burry thinks the company is undervalued. He takes a position with his firm Scion Capital in 2019. Now, it's important to note that in 2020, he actually wound back some of that position. So he had sold some, he made a little bit of a profit. And companies like his actually update publicly to the market on their positions every quarter. So we're still about a week or so off from knowing exactly how much skin in the game he's had at this very moment when the share price has gone crazy. But just the sheer fact that Michael Burry was on board believing that the company's health was a lot better than people had bet against added more fuel to that positive narrative. And it's something you can actually see that started to be discussed on Wall Street bets. Another key change occurred to the actual company structure itself. A new investor jumped into GameStop in 2020 and his name was Ryan Cohen. Ryan Cohen represented a potential change in the future of GameStop. His background was being the co-founder of a now very successful pet product e-commerce retailer called Chewy.com. Think of Chewy.com as like an online marketplace to buy pet food and toys and treats. Whatever you can think about buying a dog or a cat, Chewy.com would have it. In September 2020, Ryan Cohen bought a 9.9% stake in the company, snapping up a bunch of shares at the time. And then he further added to that, he upped it to 12.9% by December 2020, a move which many people read as being very confident in the company. Cohen was also eventually named to the board of GameStop, 
And that helped fuel the narrative that perhaps this successful co-founder of an e-commerce brand like Chewy.com could help influence the direction of GameStop and help it get onto the path of e-commerce relevance. So as these changes occurred over the last two or so years, the discussion and conversation on Wall Street bets continued to rumble on. And if you actually look back, you can see a bunch of different users making a pretty compelling case as to why the company was worth looking at. Around five or so months ago, there was a user called Jeff Amazon who posted about the, the greatest short burn of the century, basically making the case that it was going to be the greatest short burn ever seen. If you went back even further to over a year ago, there was a username such as Delaney D making the investment case for GameStop saying that shares were worth more than what was actually reflected on the market. That user actually just recently in the last few days wrote an opinion piece in The Guardian explaining how he had made that case on Wall Street bets back then and kind of showing that there was plenty of people who basically replied to him and said, no, you're a, this is a dead company, you're an idiot. But one of the most well-known Redditors out of this whole story goes to the username Deep Fucking Value. On YouTube, he posts under the username Roaring Kitty. And he's notable because he made the same case as a lot of these people were. And, but he started to also put some serious money towards this. He bought GameStop shares as well as GameStop call options. And I'll just pause there and say, just consider a call option that effectively it's just a bet that the share price is going to go up. Now, the reason he's notable is because what he started with was around $55,000 put into these GameStop shares and call options. And he's turned that now into tens of millions of dollars. The last update from the end of, I think it was Friday at the end of last week, was that his portfolio on GameStop bets was about $46 million. And remember, given the involving nature of this and just how volatile the shares in this company are, that could change very quickly for better or for worse. So that was as of January 31. So a quick summary on all this. You've got these hedge funds with huge, enormous short positions on a company called GameStop, effectively putting all their money on the, the case that this company is definitely dead and definitely going bankrupt. But then you had some major shifts in the company, such as gaming console makers not removing disk drives, from, which is a pretty important step for GameStop, famous investors like Michael Burry making the case for the stock, and a new investor with a history of e-commerce jumping onto the company's board. And this was all part of the case for GameStop and the discussion about its future. But the really, really key point here is that the users on Wall Street Bets identified that the short position on this company was simply ridiculous. And remember, more than 100% of the actual shares available. And more than this, users on Wall Street Bets started to make the case that given that overwhelming short interest on the stock, if the price started to significantly climb, a lot of chaos could be brought down on those hedge funds with those short positions. Because what happens when you get a large short interest concentrated on a single stock and that stock starts to actually climb in price? You get a squeeze. And this gets us to where we are today. As I record this podcast, the event that really had been brewing for some time that took hold of the markets and the media attention last week was this extreme volatility in the share price of GameStop. And it's just meteoric rise from where the share price was just mere weeks ago. And this rise in the share price occurred off the back of what's known as short squeeze. It's one of the final things to properly define in this podcast. Now, a short squeeze occurs when an asset like a share price or shares start to gain momentum and pick up in value. 
which in turn causes those with short positions to buy shares in that company in order to close out or protect their position. Now recall the example I gave earlier in the episode of what a short sell is. Peter lent me some shares, I short sold them, in that example I was right and I pocketed a healthy profit. But what if I'm not right? If the stock price starts to climb, remember, I owe Peter those 100 shares and I'm paying him interest for the period I have borrowed his shares for. And he might come back to me tomorrow and say, I want those 100 shares back. So the stock price starts to climb. I start to sweat a bit. The stock price continues to climb. I sweat even more. Because at the end of the day, Peter wants his 100 shares back. I get nervous that I start to buy some of those shares in the market because it keeps going up and maybe it's going to keep going up and maybe I've gotten the whole thing horribly wrong. And guess what? That exact action of me protecting my short by buying stock causes the price to increase even more because that's how asset price does increase, more buying. So this vicious cycle ensues where the traders are buying and bidding the stock up, the hedge funds start to also buy up stock to cover their position, causing an even more bigger frenzy of increased buying, driving up the price more, causing hedge funds to continue to buy more shares or continue to actually close out their entire position. And this is exactly what we've begun to witness on the markets last week. And if you'll notice, especially towards the end of last week, especially in the US, the overall index, like the overall market, had a pretty rough time. And that's because these hedge funds are also big investors and big players in the market, generally speaking. And they were in a position where they had to start selling their actual normal long positions, so their shares in companies, say like an Apple or a Walmart, in order to get some cash in order to cover their short positions. What started as a few comments on Reddit turned into a much larger discussion about this overstep that the hedge funds had made in their efforts to short GameStop and drive the price down. That discussion on Reddit turned to, well, if we push this the other way, they'll be forced to cut their losses and close the position. A lot more momentum obviously got behind that idea. More and more people jumped in onto the action. Although I don't have actual evidence of this, I would speculate that actual professional traders and funds out there also jumped in on the action, keen to make a buck off the momentum of this. You had huge names like Chamath Palihapitiya, an early Facebook exec and venture capitalist. He jumped into the fray buying call options. Elon Musk just randomly tweeted GameStonk. Billionaire Mark Cuban said his 11-year-old had made money on this. And the hedge funds got absolutely hosed to the tunes of billions of dollars. In fact, Reuters reported on January 28th, so only a few days ago, that losses on short positions amongst US firms this year has topped $70 billion. Some of the hedge funds I mentioned before, specifically Citron Research, not only came out and said that they've had to close their position, but that they're no longer going to jump into the shorting game anymore. Another hedge fund, Melvin Capital, had to get a $2.5 billion injection from one of its parent companies, Citadel, just to shore up its books. Apps like Robinhood eventually actually made the decision to pull the plug on this particular buying activity, stopping users from continuing to buy shares in companies like GameStop and others where similar patterns were occurring, such as AMC Cinemas, BlackBerry Shares and Nokia. And again, just to be fair on Robinhood here, it wasn't just Robinhood that made that call. There were other brokers like E-Trade and TD Ameritrade. They did the same thing. The users were outraged, cried foul. Tens of thousands of negative reviews flooded the app store on these apps. Google decided for some reason just to delete the reviews. 
The conversation switched to outrage against Robin Hood, accusing them of serving Wall Street before ordinary traders in making the decision they did to cease trading on shares like GameStop. You've seen class action lawsuits that have sprung up against firms like Robinhood and they've accused Robinhood of knowingly manipulating the market for the benefit of those hedge funds at the cost of Robinhood users. And then you had politicians who despise each other normally like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or AOC and Ted Cruz coming together in this moment of agreement that perhaps a federal inquiry needed to be had on why apps and platforms like Robinhood made this decision to hold trading. As tweeted by tech writer Alex Kantrowitz last week, Robinhood is now hated by retail investors, Wall Street hedge funds, Ted Cruz and AOC. Good luck with this one, folks. And that fallout is just still ongoing as I record on a Sunday. And the market's about to open tomorrow and I imagine this will continue to unfold. And kind of to be frank with you, for you guys still listening here to the podcast, I haven't yet really fully settled on my thoughts just yet. I mean, I have thoughts about everything that's just happened, but it's still a bit of a mess. But I think I will close out this episode and just say a few points that are on my mind after all this. Firstly, like I said at the top, I'm not actually here to condone the behavior of speculators or the behavior on Wall Street bets. I agree 100% that your sort of standard everyday retail investors who get caught up in the hype around this are probably going to get absolutely smashed on this trade. And for some, they'll lose most of their money. They might lose all their money, especially if they're mucking around with call options. Now, I say that as someone who's not a speculator myself, but I know that some people are going to get really hurt with this. But I also understand that some of these people aren't actually doing it to make or lose money or just don't even care about the money, they're doing it to prove a point. And that easy access we as retail traders and investors have to markets these days, coupled with these record low interest rates, which you know, effectively mean our money can't go anywhere else but the market, means you're going to have this kind of enthusiasm momentum like we've seen over the past week. I don't think this goes away. And frankly, I've actually kind of been of the opinion it's been around for a few years now we just haven't seen a scene like we've witnessed with GameStop and that probably comes back to the sheer amount of short interest it attracted and that short interest leads me to my second point which if we really want to have a conversation about oh these small retail traders are being reckless and they don't know what they're doing I'm happy to have that conversation in the sense that yes I agree speculation on stock prices is dangerous but I think we need to talk about what's reckless across the broader picture too because why does a stock like GameStop have 140% short sell interest? If we're going to talk about reckless behavior, I think it needs to be about all the reckless behavior. My third point is that I'm yet to be convinced that this kind of manipulation of the share price over the market, especially some of the criticism that the Wall Street Bets community has received, again, not speaking or defending for him. I don't even necessarily disagree with some of that criticism. But I'm not sure if it's any different to some of the types of behavior that we've seen from the elites of Wall Street and the hedge funds in the past. There's a really good example that Saga and Jetty from The Hill or from The Hill's program called The Rising Gives about billionaire investor Bill Ackman at the start of the coronavirus pandemic. You want a near-perfect corollary? Billionaire investor Bill Ackman. He went on CNBC in March 2020 to give an emotional interview to say hell is coming and that hotel stocks would go to zero. 
His interview sparked a panic sell on Wall Street. It is seen in retrospect as one of the precipitating events of that drop. Guess what? At the exact same time, right after that interview, Ackman was buying billions of dollars in the stock as it hit rock bottom. In fact, he pocketed $2 billion in bets against the market as it was crashing. It was a crash that he helped spawn through his influence, through his media appearance. Call me when the SEC and the media and others actually get upset about that. There were similar points being made by one of the names I mentioned before, Chamath Palihapitiya. He was on CNBC saying that some of this kind of behaviour is the kind of stuff that you see amongst hedge funds already. I'm questioning whether they're actually doing the research when it comes to things like GameStop and AMC and, and some of these uh, other things. There's a distribution. And obviously at one end, there are fundamental analysts. But on the other end, there are momentum traders that follow trends. But by the way, the dirty little secret of Wall Street is that exists in hedge fund land. The reason why this GameStop trade has caused so much pain is because at the top of the pecking order was Melvin Capital. Those guys were incredible stock pickers. They are incredible fundamental modelers of companies. Okay, Gabe Plotkin is one of the sort of giants of our era, of my era, right? But at the end of the day, what happens is, irrespective of what he puts on, his trades are mimicked and copied by umpteen other hedge funds that follow along. But as it stands at the moment, I have no idea how to solve something like this. I like the idea of a government inquiry or regulator such as proposed by the likes of AOC and Ted Cruz looking at decisions like Robin Hood to cease trading and looking at how regulation suits the modern era of trading. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm optimistic on the outcome of those kind of things in terms of whether actually anything would come from an inquiry like that. We saw how useful the inquiry has been into social media companies. But if it comes to more regulation, it can't be heads they win, tails we lose. The retail trader already gets the short end of the sick. But ultimately, I'm still trying to make my mind up on all of this. It's nothing like I've seen before. And I really hope it doesn't keep investors away who were thinking about getting into the market for the first time but have kind of been a little bit scared off by all that volatility that we saw last week. But I also don't hope that it doesn't attract the kind of bad actors that come into it and try to do this again and again and again on the next thing that comes up. But that is the story of GameStop. That is the story of Wall Street bets and the hedge funds losing a lot of money. I hope the examples and the random analogies that we went through made some sense to you guys. If you ever want some clarification or if you feel like you didn't understand those things, please shoot me an email. More than happy to answer those. Well, that was episode 45 of the Market Pulse podcast. That was a big one. It was bigger than our, our normal episodes. So thanks for sticking in there and staying with me. Like I said, you can always shoot a question through or feedback. That's marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. This episode took it out of me a little bit. So normally we're once a week, but this, this is kind of going to take up two weeks for me. I'm going to take a break next weekend. So the weekend of the 6th and the 7th, we won't be having a podcast, but we'll be back the following weekend after that. I've got a bunch of topics that I've parked um, that interest me 
go back to the Australian market and the, uh, some more local news. So there'll be plenty to touch on in that regard, plenty of reporting season news. But like I said, thanks for tuning in. Leave a star rating on the podcast. Tell your friends about it. Have a good week. Hopefully you understand short selling now. My name is Dion. Cheers for tuning in.